Acts chapter 3, reading, uh, starting in verse 1, that's uh, page 911 on your pew, in your pew Bible. Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, that you are the miraculous and the wonderful and the all-powerful God that you are. Lord, we thank you for the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ of Nazareth and that you have sought us out and have chosen us to be part of your family for eternity until the end of time. Lord, we pray that uh, we would have wonder and amazement at Christ. And we thank you that uh, for all that he is and that all that he has done for us. Lord, we thank you that you are the great physician. You do heal us, and you do uh, uh, deal with all our infirmities, both physical and spiritual. So, Lord, we ask and thank you for the healing that you give to us spiritually through Christ. Lord, I thank you for Cody. I thank you for the message that he has prepared. I thank you for your word, that your word is truth. We pray for Cody. We pray for him. We pray for his family, and we thank you. Uh, for them, we ask your protection for them, for they have charge over our souls. Again, we thank you and praise you and ask that in our spirits we would always be willing to uh, walk and jump and joy, uh, praising God for all that you have done for us. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me beg your apology right from the beginning here. I've been fighting a cold all week. So this could be the longest sermon ever based on how much I cough or the shortest sermon ever based upon how much I cough. And Jet, I'm going to lean on you to hit that mute button as fast as possible. And if you feel that people are falling asleep, don't hit the mute button and we'll make sure that they're awake. We're looking at Acts chapter 3 this morning in verses 1 through 10. We've been studying the powerful impact of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The impact that it has in drawing sinners through the blood of Christ, bearing out in the fruit of repentance, the public witness of baptism, the power of the preaching of the word of God, and then culminating last week at the end of chapter 2, and the unique and wonderful relationships with other believers in the family of God, aka the local church. The church is a witness for Jesus Christ. You may remember when we began our study in Acts, however many weeks ago that was, that some would say this is the book of the Acts of the Apostles. 
Others might say that it's the book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit. But really, over and above both of those, is that this book is about the work of Jesus Christ. The power of Jesus Christ. And so much is taking place in this book to witness Jesus Christ. This morning we take on chapter 3, but 3 begins a series of events for the next couple of chapters where Peter and John and others witness about Jesus Christ. And as they do, that witness encounters opposition. We're going to see beginning next week that the situation that takes place in this morning's passage is the prelude to another sermon by Peter. That comes about through the opposition to the witness of Jesus Christ that we find in verses 1 through 10 this morning. Peter and John are the primary witnesses that take place for us. But we also have others that are uh, part of the story, characters within the story. You have the lame man, whatever his official title may be, that's what we see him as. And we also have all the people. In a sense, we have three different vignettes, three different studies of unique characters or groups of people in these ten verses. And I would submit to you this morning that what we studied last week in 42 through 47, all that is taking place in the devotion of the early church to the teaching of the word of God, to the breaking of bread and prayers, to all these other characteristics... That you can see for yourself in verse 30, 43 through 47. It, it's, it's sort of teased out for us. By way of personal testimony. In these first 10 verses of Acts 3. So this morning. The way we will take this on is to simply look at the characters. We'll look at Peter and John together. We'll look at this lame man. And we'll look at all the people. Let's look at first at Peter and John. Peter and John are going up to the temple. It's the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Your Bible might have a little uh, little footnote at the bottom. It's three o'clock in the afternoon. I think you could probably, uh, without much speculation at all, say that this is a normal day. This is like any other day that has been going on. And yet it's a day that is unlike any other day because for the last 50, 60 plus days they have been living in the light of the risen Lord Jesus. The power of Jesus Christ being worked in and through them. And most recently the giving of the Holy Spirit. So it's a normal day. But it's not a normal day. They are walking into the temple to pray. They see this lame man on the way. Uh, A man that they may have seen for many times, maybe even years. This was certainly not the first time that he had been at the temple. We're told here that he was lame from birth. That as was the custom in a sense, they had laid him daily at this gate. We don't know how old this man was, but he was a man. So I think we can make some accurate presumption that it may have been another day for him as well. He had been at that gate a number of times. Maybe he had seen Peter and John before. Who knows? But Peter and John are walking into this temple to pray. And they encounter this man who's asking for money. And they who do not have money look at him. They address his physical need. They recognize that he has a physical need. I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, 
I will give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I would submit to you this morning that one of the ways that Jesus Christ transforms us, that is evident here in Peter and John's life, is that he transforms our motives. He transforms our motives. Matthew 25, verse 33 through 40 says this. Jesus Christ speaking to his disciples about the end of days when he will return in judgment says this. And he, God, will place the sheep on his right, the goats on the left. This is Jesus Christ. And the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, feed you, thirsty, or give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these brothers, you did it to me. Peter and John have had their lives transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. We can think of examples in the Gospels where uh, the least of these, that child who might want to come to Christ, was an inconvenience. We could think of times when, hey, let's just stay on top of this mountain. We've got it good here. We're talking with Moses and Elijah. Let's just build ourselves a couple tents and forget those that might be a little lower than us, down the bottom of the base of this mountain. Here, Peter and John are now walking and talking and living with motives that are changed. And no longer is it just a lame man on the way, but it is an opportunity. In our Western culture, our desire to be known, our desire for fame, to be influential, is a, is an, seems to be a, a thirst that, that never is quenched. And we're a part of this culture. We innately want to be known. We innately want to have influence, enough maybe to, to, to write a book or to teach someone that authenticates that we've made it. And yet, that's not what Peter and John are about. They've been that way before. You know, who's going to sit on the right? Who's going to sit on the left? John and his brother James ask Christ. They've missed it many times. But now their motive is not to about themselves, but to, to simply be a witness for Jesus Christ. It is to give God glory. Is for others to see the preeminent work of Jesus Christ and not themselves. You know, they didn't gather a group and say, hey, 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 we've got some healing power. Everybody gather around and look at us. No, they're talking with someone that the culture at that time completely despised. Their motives have been changed. They desired to help him physically, but so transformed by Christ as to not let a simple meeting pass by. The lame man. The lame man. We looked at Peter and John. More could be said. I'll let you study that in your time. But let's look at the lame man. And the transformation that takes place by the power of Christ here. 
that is, I think we can say very with great confidence that this man's physical and even spiritual well-being are transformed. Let's look at the story. What do we know about this man? Well, he is lame from birth. That is, he was born with some weakness, whether structurally or in a muscle way, that made him unable to walk. His feet and ankles needed to be made strong, which is what takes place. He had some daily help. He was carried to this place, to this gate going into the temple. He was a beggar. He held out his palm. He looked for money. He was known in the area. Verse 2. Whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple. And verse 10. And recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate at the temple. He was a modern day panhandler. He was the guy that you have seen for years. Right on that particular intersection as you go to work over and over and over again. Holding out the same sign. He's this guy who holds out the sign that you don't want to make eye contact with. Because as soon as you make eye contact with, now you have a personal interaction. He doesn't want to make eye contact with you. Because that would be a personal interaction. That's difficult enough. So he holds the sign and just kind of looks down. And hopes somebody will come along and supply for him that which he needs. Now, I don't know about you, but I've passed many of those in my day. And obviously the thought was, well, they really don't need that kind of money. They're going to go use it for drugs or this or that. Why would I want to help them? Blah, blah, blah. That's not what's taking place here. What we have described for us is less about the physical, the spiritual healing and much more about the physical healing. Notice this man is sitting at this gate. It's probably on the east side of the temple. And people would come in and out and he simply sat there. Maybe day after day after day. And he sees Peter and John coming as he sees everybody else coming in and out. And he simply holds out his hand. And Peter initiates a personal interaction with this young man or Older man, however old he might be. That's why I think verse 4 is so important. Look with me there. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. There was was something more than just a passing by. This is going to be an encounter. Verse 5, this man has hope. I hold out my hand and few drop a coin in, but this man said to look at him, so apparently he's going to give me some money. He fixed his attention on them, he says. Verse 5, expecting to receive something from him. And Peter says, I have no silver and gold. You see this man's uh, hopes crest and then fall. Ah, oh. I thought you no, no silver and gold. But what I have, I give to you, Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. I I, I don't quite know how to get into the mind of this situation. This is a man who is simply doing his daily thing. 
There's no hope that he has or expectation that he has that today is going to be like unlike any other. And yet he finds himself for the first time not having any idea of what even he's supposed to be feeling standing on his own two feet. In fact, I think it's interesting. We could have taken verse 11, but look at verse 11 with me. And while he clung to Peter and John, it's, there's this sense that this man has found himself on his feet and yet he's not quite sure how to stand. There's, there's this great joy. He's walking and leaping and yet he's holding. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Let's go in our Bibles to Mark chapter 2. A number of books to your left. If you have the Pew Bible, you could find that on page 837. Here we have the story of Jesus Christ. Healing a paralytic. And you can see that these two stories are similar. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, I'm in verse 1, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. The man in our passage in Acts 3 has a number of people that are carrying him around. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes are sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus Christ, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. The purpose of our healing in Acts 3 this morning is to authenticate, to witness to the transforming power of Jesus Christ, who has the authority to heal, who has the authority to forgive sins. Calvin put it this way, there's not any magical force in the sounding or pronouncing of the word, such as in the name of Jesus, as the Jews do dote about the word of Jehovah. Peter meant to declare that he was nothing but a minister and that Christ was the author of The miracle. The question needs to be asked about our passage in Acts 3 this morning. What does this tell us about Christ? And what it tells us is that he is risen and that he has the authority from the Father to rule and reign over all. He has the authority to heal cripples. And yet he also has the divine authority to take rebellious criminals opposed to the divine authority of God and heal them spiritually and make them alive in Jesus Christ. This is what's taking place. Notice the man when he is healed. He is not simply just standing and looking at his feet. But he goes walking and leaping and praising God. He was transformed by Christ. 
Acts 35, excuse me, Isaiah 35, verse 6, in, in proclaiming about the coming Christ, says this, Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. I, I, I think it's a, a, a wonderful situation that's taking place in Acts 3. I, I think one of the things that makes it so remarkable is Peter and John are not just walking by and thinking, well, they know, he, he knows who we are. I've seen him for years. Obviously, he knows we're apostles and, and we live for Jesus Christ and we've been transformed by Jesus Christ and, and he's just going to get this by osmosis because I'm living in the light of the gospel and somehow if I'm living as a good Christian, those people around me are going to get it. No, no, no. It's got to be more than that. It's the call for us, it's the application for us that we're not to just live in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ but to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. To not just simply say, I'm a Christian, but have you heard of Christ who has the power to heal your soul that is under the wrath of God? Yeah, but pastor, I'd be walking and leaping and praising God too. At that type of thing that happened to me. I, I, I know that Jesus Christ transformed lives. But you don't know what I'm going through. And if he would just transform what I'm walking and going through. Then I'd be walking and leaping and praising him as well. Let's, let's redo the story shall we? Let, let's think about this lame man. And let's think of the outcome being different. Let's say he's not physically healed. Of which Jesus Christ has the power to heal even now. And we pray that he does. And he chooses not to. That's his business. But let's say the man wasn't healed. Physically. Didn't have the ability to physically walk and leap. And yet he had seen the power of Jesus Christ. To transform his dark dead soul to alive in Jesus Christ. He had been spiritually regenerated. What about that day? Well I submit to you that I think a. Much of the same thing would have happened. Have you seen the guy at the gate? I, I, I don't know what happened. The guy's smiling. You see, you see the guy at the gate? Yeah, yeah, I saw the guy at the gate. He, he said, hey, Joe. Like, he never talks. You see the guy at the gate? You see, the, the, we today would love... To have the physical healing. And all of us have physical abnormalities. I would love to have my throat strengthened right now from a cold. But what we also realize is for, for those who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. We've got the greatest healing that's ever been given. We've been healed from the sin of our lives. In fact, it is those that oftentimes are the most physically handicapped that actually get the wonder of what it is to not have their physical bodies healed, but to have their spiritual souls regenerated. Johnny Erickson Tata, some of you may know who she is. 50 years ago, last year, 51 years now, as a young lady, she was in a diving accident. Quadriplegic, neck down, paralyzed. And she's been in a wheelchair with help for 51 years. And you can read her books and she now is a one who speaks often. But she's written a, a quite a bit about the struggles that she had as an early paraplegic. And the anger that she had against God. For allowing her to 
to dive into this particular part of the ocean and be paralyzed. But she wrote this last year. She says this, what a difference time makes, as well as prayer, heaven-minded friends, and deep study of God's word. All combined, I began to see that there are more important things in life than walking, having the use of your hands. It sounds incredible, but I really would rather be in this wheelchair knowing Jesus as I do than be on my feet without him. How do you say that? Unless Jesus Christ has the power to transform your soul. Here's another, Fanny Crosby. We sing of her hymns. She's the queen, if you will, of American hymn writing. Blessed assurance, redeemed how I love to proclaim it, to God be the glory, and many others. Few know that at six weeks of age, she was blinded by an incompetent doctor who put mustard poluses on her eyes. And she screamed bloody murder at six weeks. And her mom, pleading with the doctor of what is going on, finding out sometime later that her daughter would be blind and never see again. And then this little girl at one years old, losing her father, who got a simple cold and died. And she would say this, it seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind my whole life. And I thank him for the dispensation. If perfect earthly sight were offered me tomorrow. Got this? If perfect earthly sight were offered me tomorrow. I think we could say if this man was not physically healed. He could say if walking was given me tomorrow. This is what Fanny says. I would not accept it. I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God. If I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things about me. Checking out on that one. I don't know how you say that. Unless you've been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ and you recognize that your sin is the greatest disease that needs healing. In our Western culture, we're about, you know, this. And what do I need to do to, to keep this looking fresh? Right? This is the moneymaker, as they say. What do I need to do to, to, to feel good for as much of my life as possible? And I submit to you, listen, I, I, I ate a load of vitamins and, and aspirin this morning. I, I'm... Take it. But let, let's not let that cloud the idea that Jesus Christ has healed us from our sin. And what else is needed? And I think he, there's even a side note here. Well, what about his family and friends that had carried this man to the temple for years? It's something to be said for just being a good friend that takes a person to church, that helps them to, to see Jesus. That walks through with them with difficult times and the joy that they must have had that day. To see this man and all the years of suffering in, an, in, a, in a unique set of circumstances, unexpectedly, see Christ. You see, I think what we see very clearly here through this lame man is that life is really a series of God-ordained events meant to reveal himself to us and to the world in and through the lives of unnamed people. We don't have the name of this man. We don't have his friends. Peter and John are mentioned, but they didn't do this in a way to be known as a, a name. They're simply being faithful because they've been transformed by Jesus Christ. Well, let's look at the last group of people here. And it is a group, all the people. You see that in verse 9. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And if you want to jot down what may be transformed here, Jesus Christ transforms a group's sense of 
all. I don't quite know how to say it other than the fact that they were moved in ways they'd been not, not been moved before. God desires those who will be in right worship with him. And we see this in John 4 with the woman at the well. Christ tells this woman in verse 21 through 24 that God desires those who will worship him aright. That is what is taking place here. It is the witness of the power of Jesus Christ to transform in order that God might have those who worship him and worship him aright. A warning should be given here. And that is that the hardest heart can be impressed by the spectacular. You know, if you're here this morning and your heart is hard to Christ, you can look around this room. You could hear the transformation that's taken place in people of repenting sin and turning to Christ in areas and think, wow, that's amazing. What a story. I want some of that. And yet, the difference between one who has a sense of all transformed by Christ to be in wonder of the things he does and the one whose sense of awe is just bouncing from one spectacular thing to the next is a difference. There is a difference there. Are you in awe of the work of Jesus Christ? Is that awe continuing to grow? God is desiring those who would worship him aright and he saves lost people through the shed blood of Christ by regenerating them through the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Notice they're filled with wonder and amazement, verse 10. And I think it has to be said that in our world today, in a world of Instagram filters and diet fads and lottery chances and social media postulating, people are starving for authenticity. They want to see something that's that's really true. It doesn't just flame out in a week. Or when the filter's removed, the truth is there. And they saw something that day that they had not seen before. We have three different characters for us this morning. We've got those that are named, Peter and John. We've got the unidentified identity, so to speak, this lame man. And we have an unnamed group of people. We have Peter and John who are faithful to proclaim Christ. We have this man who is a fruit of faithfulness. As an unknown man, he's just simply responding to the grace that has been given to him. And his being healed. And then we have this unnamed group of people who are simply faithful to identify evidences of grace and respond accordingly. They're not passing over lightly the work of God. And the point, I think, is clear if we want to take this passage as a vignette of what's happening in the church in 42 through 47 is that the church is made up of all three of these type of people. You've got some people that have got a name and you've got some people that have never been heard of and you've got some people who are simply being faithful. The church is not only made up of all three, the church needs all three. All of those and, and others being transformed by the power of Jesus Christ, encountering the transforming power of Jesus Christ, and all of them having been impacted by it to differing degrees. I I don't know where uh, the influence you may have this morning. Uh, you, You may simply be someone who stands at the door and smiles and says hi. No one, no one knows that you, you take out the trash every once in a while, that you, you simply come. And who knows, you, you might be someone who, who speaks often or is recognized as someone who to get counsel from. Or, or maybe you're just 
a child and a, and a family. God loves to bear witness to the transforming power of Jesus Christ through just simple faithfulness of living for Christ. Seeking Him in the Word, praying, and He, he, he does the work. Look at verse 47, if you will, of chapter 2. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. You, you have that being worked out here. God uses means. The means are oftentimes just the faithful proclamation of the Word of God, the faithful living for Jesus Christ, and He uses those means to add to the number of those who are being saved. So, how are we doing on that this morning? Where can we grow this this coming week? How can we be more faithful? And trust him then to add to the number those who are being saved. Are you saved this morning? Have you been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ? Have you had your sin forgiven? Do you recognize that your sin is in opposition to a holy God and that God's wrath is upon you? That you must bear out the punishment for your sin which is death. And yet, offered before you is the free gift of salvation to those who would believe and repent. For those who would look to Jesus Christ to be the one who's paid for all of their sin by his death upon the cross. To turn from your sin and to allow the Lord to be in control of your life. To be in awe of him rather than all of the pleasures of sin. And then to be those who have hope. Hope that whether you're physically healed now or not, you have the healing of your soul and that one day you'll be in heaven eternity with God and his people praising and singing the glory of Jesus Christ the offer is for you today the question is whether or not you will repent and take it chapter 3 of Acts we have launched into a new section and as we go may it be clear to us that God delights to Show the transforming power of Jesus Christ through being a faithful witness to him as Peter and John were that day, the lame man was, and the groups of people there. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to study your word. We thank you for that Sunday school teacher, that neighbor, the faithful grandmother, the friend. That person that you used in our lives as believers to to carry us, if you will, to, to the cross and then to leave us there and to call us to be reconciled with God through Christ. Father, we thank you that you called us to yourself. We thank you that you have transformed us and that you are continuing to transform us, to make us like your son. That you've given us the Holy Spirit and not not left us. We thank you, Father, that that you're growing our conviction against uh, about our sin. We thank you, Father, that you give us the grace to Look to the cross to see that our guilt was forgiven, was taken away, sin removed, and the grace that is there to walk in newness of life. 
Father, we thank you for loving us as our Heavenly Father. That you don't allow us to, to wander back to the old way, but you call us and you discipline us and you lead us and you pull us in such a loving manner to walk as witnesses to the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the testimony that is here. We thank you for the testimony of those like Mrs. Crosby or Tata and well, Father, we, we want to have the same thought that whether our situation or whether our physical suffering or whether our challenge that you have divinely brought into our life is removed or not, we're those who can look at it and say, I would not have seen Christ as clearly as I do now if not for it. Father, we thank you for the table and the opportunity to remember the death of Christ until he returns. And for those here, us today, that are believers in Christ, the joy that it is to be reminded that the body was broken, that the blood was shed, but that Christ was risen. And the hope that we have for that day when Christ will return and will be caught up with him in glory. Spend eternity remarking and singing and praising and declaring the transforming power of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. We'll take the table this morning. We'll not spend a lot of time here in terms of preparation. I would just encourage you and suggest to you that for the believer in Christ, this is a, a, table, a table of humble joy. Uh, what, a, what, a, what a delight to know that Christ has covered all of our sin. And, and yet, at the same time, what it is to remember that we are those who still sin. And I would just encourage you this morning that even if you may or be struggling with sin, if you're seeking to walk in repentance through that, don't... Don't pride yourself by your feeling of inadequacy or undeservingness to come to the table, but rather recognize that that's what the table's for, is to, to remind you to not look at yourself and your sin, but to look to Christ and, and to see his finished work there upon the cross and the empty tomb and to be delighted in the fact that he gives grace upon grace to help you as you continue to fight. We would encourage you to and ask that you be a baptized believer in good standing with your local church if you're going to take the table with us this morning, even if you're a visitor. Uh, we also would uh, tell you that you should be a believer in Jesus Christ. So if you're an unbeliever, this table is not for you. Uh, let it pass by. Uh, let, it, let it go. But at the same time, uh, ask yourself the question, what would prohibit me today from submitting to Christ and believing in Him as my Lord and Savior? And I would encourage you to talk to one that may be around you to me uh, before we leave together. And let's talk about what it means uh, to have Jesus Christ save you from your sin. And then lastly, if you're a believer who is refusing to walk as a believer. You just, you claim Christ, but you want nothing to do with showing the world that he is Lord of your life. You would prefer to walk in your sin, then this table is not for you as well. This table is 
for you in a way to remind you to repent of your sin. Without repentance, there is no salvation in the sense that repentance is a fruit of salvation. If you don't have it, you don't have the fruit. The root is not there. But the grace of God that has been poured out and uh, upon us and saving us is going to bear fruit and repentance. And so it may be this morning even that you're burdened by your sin and, and that's a grace. The shame of your sin is a grace. But don't turn it inward, look upward to Christ and rejoice in this table for you. That he loves you and he has died for you. I'd like to ask those who have been asked to serve to come forward. Has anybody? Yep. So if you gentlemen uh, who are going to serve would come forward, that'd be helpful to us. Then we will pray and we will pass the elements. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice at the work of Jesus Christ. Whose body was broken for us. Whose blood was shed. This is an eternal reality. Of what you're reminded about this morning. That there is nothing. That we could have done or could do now. To free us from the curse of sin. But that Jesus Christ did it all. And even as we may think about. The. Undeserving nature of taking the elements this morning because we've we've not been as faithful as you've called us to be. We're reminded of the immensity of your love for us. Father, we rejoice this morning. We sing joy to the world, and even in our hearts, we echo the sound of transforming power of the name of Jesus Christ that has saved us from our sins. And so we ask that this grace of of the table would be encouraging to us as a body. In the precious and holy name of Jesus we pray. Amen.